Today's episode is brought to you by Spotify. Hey guys and ladies, did you know that Tinfoil Hat is now available on Spotify? Spotify is making it easy for you to stream this podcast and many others like it on your mobile device, desktop app, and smart speaker. Open the app on the mobile or desktop, click on the browse channel, and then click on podcast section. Take me, take this podcast and others like it and all your favorite podcasts wherever you want, thanks to Spotify. Follow on all of our social media platforms on Twitter at tinfoilhatcast, reddit.com backslash r backslash tinfoilhatshow, on Instagram at tinfoilhatpod, or allcomedytshirts.com, email us at tinfoilhatpod at gmail.com. Tinfoil I'm not hot and heavy, I'm heavy and hot. Welcome back to another episode of Tinfoil Hat. Tinfoil Hat. Come with me into the waters of conspiracy. With Sam Tripoli. Tripoli's a bit crazy, but he's a really good guy. <laughs> With my friend Ryan Davis. Uh, hi, Ryan. We're like the first gay couple of conspiracy yeah. theories. Yeah. I think it's beautiful, man. Hold up there, partner. Say that again. Hey, man, where's hey, the truth there, dog? Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Are you ready to get your mind blown? Yeah. You gave me the point too quick. I don't know because you always have a new edit on the song, so I talked over everybody's favorite line. And welcome. And welcome to Tinfoil Hat. You know who we are. You know what we're here to do. Uh, Guys, real quick. uh, The big thing is June 1st. Yes. Tinfoil Hat Comedy Night is coming to Cops in San Francisco. And also June 2nd to the Punchline in SAC. So go to uh, CobbsComedyClub.com or PunchlineSack.com. Grab your tickets now. Uh, I think I haven't ran this by Eddie, and I should have done this by now, but I haven't. But I think whoever brings the most people can either do a private podcast with us or join us on stage when we do our little thing at the end. So I'm still working that out, but I think it's going to be a private podcast. Maybe if you come to San Francisco, we do a private podcast, and then we head out to Sacktown. To go rock it again. Hell yeah. So that's what I'm thinking. Let's what do you do think? This. Yeah, I'm excited. I think it's going to be fun. We only have to get 200 people to bring one friend. That's not that hard. We have a lot of listeners in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. We All you a- decoders, everyone that works for robotics firms, Google, anyone with a knit beanie, hippies. We know you're in fucking Frisco. All, all, all the counterculture, I think it's in Oakland now. Is it? I think they can't afford to live in San Francisco anymore. I don't even think the people who work at the companies that have made it too expensive to live in San Francisco can live in San Francisco. That being said, come on out. Yeah, come on. Dude, it's going to be a great night. I'm excited about it. Cobbs is uh, one of the best clubs in the country, and I love San Francisco. I love gigging there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Joining us in studio, so let's get to the show. Join us in studio. Uh, He was just on like a week ago. And now he's back, back by popular demand. Huh? Uh, I'm excited about this episode, so I'm glad you're here. Jason Louv, everybody, welcome. Ever, welcome. Thank you for having me back on. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's been so long since I saw you. Yeah, it's things so have changed. see you and catch up, I know. Things have changed. Uh, you know, you, people loved you on the last episode. You know, uh, they, they got really mad at Aaron because he said mean shit at the end. Oh. Aaron, Aaron said he's sorry about that. But uh, I'm super excited. Uh, again, why don't you push your books because that's going to be coming out soon. Yep. April 17th is John D. and the Empire of Angels, which is the 
the uh, nearly 600-page hardbook biography of uh, not just John Dee, who's the kind of most famous uh, alchemist in, in recent history, but also Aleister Crowley and Jack Parsons, who mm. I understand you guys are interested in. So it's really the, uh, the definitive guide to Western magic, uh, the, the se- which is the secret spiritual tradition of, of Western culture, which has been kind of hidden and kept elite for, for several hundred years. And now everybody's interested in because now we have the internet and we can find out all about it. So everyone wants to know what's been, what's been kept from them. Well, I, I'm super excited to read the book. Did you say it's 600 pages? 560, yeah, so close to 600. So that will be about a good two years of my life. I'm going <laughs> to do it, though. I'm going to do it. I, how long does it take you to write a book that long? Um, the book, the actual writing process took two years, but it was three years total, including, you know, it started as an article for Boing Boing, and then it turned into an ebook, and then, and then uh, you know, I went through the negotiations with a publisher, and then... Uh, you know, two two solid years writing of writing. Of it? Two, yeah, I mean, I was sitting, I was literally sitting in a tiny office in Glendale by the Americana, doing nothing but writing that book nonstop for, you know, the better part of uh, two years. It's kind of like putting out a special. Like that's a book is putting out a comic, putting out a special because that's about how long I think some guys try to do one a year. I just think that's suicide. But I mean, some people can do it. So I, I think it suffers if you do that too many times. But around two years is a good time to put out a good hour. I mean, like, you know, what's so interesting, too. It's like 560 pages in this attention span, you know, generation we live in now. How many people do you think get to the end of it? Is it like what well, is a normal book now? Like uh, like 200? Yeah, the, the normal book now, you know, I've worked in the publishing industry since I was a well, really, since I was a teenager, because I started Were out. Were you a paper boy? Paper here? <laughs> no, I Come get to... your wizard paper. I, went... <laughs> uh, I was not, but I worked in uh, in bookstores, and then I went, worked in the publishing industry uh, right out of, uh, you know, even when I was in college, right out of college. So, um, uh, yeah, the standard book now is kind of like a listicle blog post that gets turned into an extended Kindle. So uh, I really tried to do, you know, I was very inspired in writing this book by Will Durant, who was a great uh, historian of uh, wrote these massive books with his wife. He spent his entire life only trying to write the history of the entire mm. world. And there's actually a theater named after him in Hollywood, I think. Wow. But um, yeah, I well, okay, so you say that people have a limited attention span. And I believe that for a long time, but I don't think it's necessarily true because people will, okay, people have a, a short attention span when they're on Facebook, when they're on their phone, but not when they're listening to podcasts. They'll listen to a three-hour podcast. It is very podcast, interesting. You know. It is interesting. If it's, or an audible, you know, an audiobook, or if it's something they care about, if it's something they can take with them to, you know, the, you know, the gym or driving around, uh, then they don't. So I kind of think that the, the idea that people have a limited attention span is true, but it's also a feature of social media more than people's att- actual attention span. I mean, Netflix is now putting out 15-minute specials because they've crunched the numbers, and I think people... They've noticed probably on the average, like our people only watch 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Jesus. That's why I'm breaking mine up into two. I'm like, okay, you watch a little of this, come back and watch the next one when, you, when you're ready to do it. Yeah, but they'll sit there and binge watch a show. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, it I sat there and watched Breaking Bad practically back to back, you know, so. Now, as yeah. a comedian, we, we really get angry when, we don't get angry, but we're kind of like, ah, oh, really? Uh, when a celebrity comes into our, our like our world like you know like 
you know, you see these improvs on the road. They they have like YouTube celebrities mm-hmm. doing stand up now, and it's like you know, uh, who was it? Well, Nene Leaks or whatever her name is from the Real Housewives of Atlanta was doing like a week. I'm like, what 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 is going on now? I can't imagine what as an author you must feel because it sounds like you've been in that world for a very long time with like. Just everybody putting out books now. It's just like Kim Kardashian's putting out a book, and you're uh, like, oh. "It's always been that way in the publishing industry." And the publishing industry is is uh, exceedingly small compared to other other uh, uh, entertainment industries. And it's all, but it's it's always been that way. It was like that in the, I mean, you know, like Howard Stern's book or any, you know, anybody, uh, uh, any, uh, you know, Paris Hilton, anybody who came in and and did a book. And and the thing that's good about that is that that actually tends to float the publishing industry. Uh, you know, when big celebrities come in and they'll do one book and it'll pay the, it'll keep the lights on for the publishing company that does it for a couple of years. So. That's how people feel yeah. about Dane Cook. You know, I mean, we're we're cool now, but back in the day. You know, people would be like, they would always say like, hey, man, I may not agree with this, this and that, but he brought comedy back. Mm-hmm. People really got interested in stand up comedy at when he blew up. And right. like, so I guess it's like a necessary evil, huh? Well, I don't even see it as evil. You know, it's just like there's different people want different things. I you agree know, different that. products. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you, her mm-hmm. niche isn't your niche, but that'd be great if they were, huh? <laughs> You're like, hey, let me come Kim hang Kardashian, out. Kim yeah. Kardashian, in this town, you never know well, who's into what. Hold on, dude. <laughs> right, man. Like, this is L.A. Hold on a dark, second. They're you into know? the this dark. Is, this is Satan's kingdom we're, 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 we're talking the about. The dark right arts, for sure, man. Yeah. Like the way they dress, they say it's all black and white. Where did I walk into? I walked into somewhere and I looked at the carpeting. It was all checkered black and white. And I go, oh, dog. Masonic. This right. shit's fucking evil. Well, Kanye West, right? You've seen that uh, a while ago now, but he did that I call video him for- Fat Kanye. Okay. Power? I'm only kidding. Yeah, exactly. Him. Power. Like, there you go. That's the transmission of the Aeon of Horus in video form right Explain there. that to Sam. I don't know if you remember this one. It's called By Power. the way, I love Kanye. I'm just mad. I spent I love literally $200 on tickets to go see him. Uh, heart, uh, heartbreaks in 808, I think it was. That was the kind. Oh, I I I I was so angry, just listening to him cry about how hard his life. It was wow, it yeah. was awful. So that's why I got you got you got to sl- uh, separate the artist from the art sometimes. I, I get that. I my get Twisted that. Dark Fantasy. That's one of my favorite albums of all time. That's no, a, that's a beautiful album. Early Kanye was some of the best to ever. Do it by far. Mm. Just sometimes they go crazy, and then when you court those witches, man. They bring a whole different ant- nobody survives that. <laughs> no well, You know the story about Bowie in, in the seventies with the witches? You must know this story. No. So when Bowie so so Bowie obviously he got in he was a, a cult figure in in England, but when he did Ziggy Stardust, he really blew up and got a ton of money and spent it all on cocaine. And he was on more cocaine than anybody in the music industry in the mid seventies in Los Angeles, which, as you imagine, might have might have to be a substantial amount of cocaine. <laughs> um, but he got really into magic um, when he did Station to Station, and that whole album is about him using uh, the dark arts to get make- more coke. Oh well, that was only the first step. The second step was to make himself the fascist dictator of Europe, mm. and then uh, and then he got, he got a little he got into trouble for that, as you might imagine. Uh, but he was you know he spent he spent all of 1975 or 1974 uh, coked up in a room in L.A. like drawing cabalistic patterns and trying to draw dimensional gateways to walk through. This he's talked about this in interviews, uh, trying to uh, use trying to see if he could change the channel on his TV without using the remote control. Uh-huh. Uh, with just his mind, and also he was convinced that which was just the witch's <laughs> thing. He was convinced that you know 
covens of witches in LA were after him for his semen. Yeah. That they wanted to get it. And then he thought that he'd summon the devil into his swimming pool also. So luckily he got at least off the cocaine long enough to move to Berlin. And then he did those two, those three amazing albums with, with Iggy Pop and Brian, you know, which are, I think the greatest albums of the 20th century among them. But, but yeah, that was, that was Bowie's LA period. And I feel like that's kind of, a, it's not just Bowie. That's kind of a thing that happens to people in LA. You know, it's like <laughs> that, you know, that moment of Bowie's life is kind of my entire, you know, last 10 years in LA. So. <laughs> <laughs> just being crazy people. Coke never did that to me, dude. Coke was always just like, all right, this is about to get weird. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, like, just, I just like Coke because I have a sex addiction and uh, women like to get weird on cocaine. So that just ends up working together. Never summoned any demons. Never, you never summoned the devil in your swimming pool? Did Coke at the comedy store, never had a ghost asking if you could do a bump or anything. Well, you just got to do more, I guess, because it's like. Go hard in the paint. That's probably back when the Coke was probably really good. Go hard or go home. You know. That's back in the Mitzi Shore, Robin Williams cocaine days. They were just blown out. So since you've seen like a resurgence of the occult and interest in it, uh, do you think we're going to see a second coming of goth music? Is there any chance we're going to like... Uh... Goth never goes away. Right? Yeah. No, it, it, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it never dies. It's kind of undead in a way. Well, know? I always <laughs> noticed that when, uh, when uh, kids wanted attention, they would always say that they were witches and that they loved the devil. And I felt so bad for those kids because as... My age, I, I obviously see that is a call for an attention. Mm. <laughs> they just want attention. But like up, like upstate New York, two th- you know, 1988, you know, I mean, people are freaking the fuck out. Well, you know, the good thing about our society now with Instagram and all that is, is that the, the adolescent cry for attention can become an entire life. Yeah. You know? Jeez. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is true with uh, Instagram. Just look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah, I get that. But right. You can just stay in that developmental stage for your whole life now. It's great. It is interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. I mean, I'm glad we got you back so soon. This actually spurred out of our conversation leaving the studio last time. Um, I was like, man, I'd love to have you on to talk about Jack Parsons. And you're like, I have a whole chapter in my book about it. Yeah. I could talk till the cows come home. It's or- so, so you, br- you brought up Breaking Bad. I don't know why, but I felt like he was kind of like – I don't know why this break this like genius that's somewhat you know just it never quite works out the way he want you know it's like it he's almost too good for he's almost too good for his own good you know what I'm saying yeah, like yeah, he's too yeah, smart yeah. for his own good <laughs> and that it just it just didn't and I think that is every every like artist's fear is the, the kind of end up like this you know almost like I remember every comic watched um uh, the wrestler, and they were just like, oh, oh wow. no. Like, you know, the, he's in a fucking lodge signing fucking things for people, and you're like, oh, God, please don't let me end up there. <laughs> and I feel like that's kind of like somewhat happened to this guy in a weird way. A little to- bit, but he got it. He got it. He, he had a, he only lived till 38. So he had a pretty dramatic and sped up existence, and he really just kind of went off the rails at the end. Uh, but uh, he had a tremendous effect on the world, you know. Yeah, Jack Parsons was born Marvel Whiteside Parsons. How are you going to change your name from Marvel? Yeah, you already, you, already, you already won the lottery there. You can't work at at, at at Burger King with the name Marvel. You can't be, hi, Marvel, welcome to Burger King. You, you might know? be surprised. You might be surprised. Um, that is true. That's <laughs> a good true. thing that he was an American rocket engineer, a rocket propulsion researcher, chemist, and, oh, yeah, he just happened to be a thelemite occultist and friends with the one and only Aleister Crowley. Yep. Uh, how did that even come about? 
So yeah, let's start from the beginning. I guess let's let's get back to Caltech, where he formed the super nerd group uh, called the Suicide Squad. Hold with, well, let's with Ed Foreman and Frank Molina. So this is where he started. Caltech. He's that's a young where guy. it starts at the beginning. Yeah, they're nerds. They're into rockets. It's friggin' the '30s. And that's kind of before there were rockets, right? Yeah, together, yeah. together the three formed what was disparagingly known as the Suicide Squad, a ragtag group of rocket enthusiasts whose volatile experiments threatened to kill them. Brave nerds, officially the first jackass crew. These guys were just blowing shit up and not worrying about it. Yeah. He really is the ultimate alpha nerd, like male fantasy in a way, Jack Parsons. So yeah, Jack Parsons is... is um, was a, a rocket scientist, and he was actually the guy who founded JPL, J, uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratories, came out of that group you talked about. Uh, and he was uh, one of the people that is responsible for getting America to the moon, one of the first enthusiasts for rockets. And so so Parsons was uh, a rich kid. He was born in Pasadena on uh, uh, Millionaire Row, which is still there. It's, it's still one of the richest parts of L.A., which yeah. is, you know, incredible. And he, you know, came from wealth, but his parents divorced and they lost their money in the uh, recession in, in the stock market crash and he oh, that's crazy right? yeah imagine so that he lost man. it all but he was kind of like this crazy weird imaginative you know nerdy kind of kid he was but he was very tall he became he's like six feet tall but he, he grew up reading science fiction and being interested in the occult and interested in you know became obsessed with the idea of of making science fiction real, of get of people getting to the moon. I and feel that's a lot of scientists are like that. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. grow up watching all these sci-fi films, and then they go, "I want to make that," and then they they make it, even though they don't realize maybe that might not be the best idea for everybody. <laughs> right. right. You know, right. like killer robots and all the mind. You know, <laughs> like they can put thoughts in your mind. I mean, like, where are we going with this? Anyways, but but Parsons was very. He was concerned with the liberation of humanity. He was not. He was not dark side, you know, in that way. Right, but he right. really wanted. He wanted. He was obsessed with uh, breaking the conformity of America in the 1950s. I think most scientists revolu- go, sexual revolution. If you go talk to the guys at Boston Dynamics, they're probably not thinking, "Hey, man, I'm making robots are going to eat people, dude. It's going to be pretty fucking sweet." I think they really think they're doing good for humanity. And I'm not right. saying this is applied to him, but. We have seen things be invented. You're like, and why did you make that? Well, did I think we what really happens, need that. Yeah, well, that's that. You got to look at the funding because I think most scientists start out idealistic. But the question is, where's the funding coming from now? And now it's almost all military and corporate contracts. So that's kind of in the how the game is rigged these days. I think, unfortunately, but at the same time, science, of course, originally comes out of the occult, like John Dee. And for me, I think the whole idea of science and and science fiction and the occult it's just it's all part of this same kind of faustian thing this idea of like you know what can we do what can you where can we go next as a human species and parsons really embodies that and his three overwhelming interests are rocketry science fiction and the occult so he starts off he d- he doesn't have enough money to go to school um you know he gets a he he gets an offer to go to i think caltech but he can't afford it so he ends up just making working in an explosives factory and by by night he's hanging out but he ends up hanging out with all these caltech grad students and becoming friends with them and just kind of forming this thing like you said called the suicide squad where they're just building crude rockets in the arroyo seco in pasadena near here and just trying to make rockets go and this is what, what 50s the 40s 40s yeah man. i think just the think late, LA late was 30s. like in the 40s it was before the war yeah before every i mean like yep. 
I mean, L.A. wasn't even close to L.A. I think if you're talking the 30s, 40s, L.A., I think, like, Hollywood was still in Ithaca, New York. That's where a lot of the major <laughs> oh, wow. films were made at first. And then it moved to New York City, and then they realized, oh, I hate the cold. And, they all, and then it moved to L.A. I love the idea of these old-timey guys. I mean, if you see Jack Parsons, him and Walt Disney look like what 1950s looks like. Just that long, tall... And they actually designed uh, Jack Parsons, or Tony Stark, I should say, after Jack Parsons. Yeah. So if you ever see him in the comic books and everything, the way he looks is exactly like Parsons. Really? Yeah, he's that rocket engineer that is just kind of kooky, you know? Well, I think in one of the Avengers movies they show, or one of the Iron Man movies, they show Tony Stark's father. Yes. And that's he's actually supposed to be Jack Parsons. The, the, yes. The, yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know. Oh, Iron Man's amazing. father. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and it's very interesting because, you know, you got this kid, he came from money, even though his family loses it, you know, uh, but the, there's this whole thing that like he's this brilliant mind. And sometimes people want to think like people get stuff because their family's connected. You know, they're, they're like Chris D'Elia is like came from money and that kid's super talented. Nick Kroll, super talented. Mm-hmm. Like like Nick Kroll's family's billionaires, like major players. And like that guy to me is probably the most complete comic entertainer i know like like he, he's you know brian callen's right there but he's like i mean that guy he can do everything and it's just like hey man some guys just win the lottery you know and it sounds like this guy you know his family lost money but it sounds right. like he had like everything well i think that if, i'm sure that if you come from that type of i mean i wouldn't know but i'm sure that if you you know but i'm sure that if you come from that type of like patrician background and imprint i think you kind of naturally have a sense of being you know, having, you know, white male privilege to the right, extreme, right, as right, it were, right, you know, you think right. you can do anything, you maybe have a sense of, you know, being uh, elevated above other people, and maybe that you're almost like a steward of them in some ways. And, you know, that's, I think, the good side of, of uh, people who come from that type of background. Yeah, they have a confidence in them, probably yeah. because their families come from people who've achieved stuff. I always go, if you're like, there's a good chance if your life isn't exactly perfect, it goes back to some of the decisions your ancestors made a while ago. <laughs> like when other ancestors were making banks and all that, building railroad, by buying railroad companies, you know, your, your, yeah. your great-great-grandpa was like sitting on a farm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like some people's, it's just been lined or up. Just, just deciding to happen to be there when people showed up with to kill them. I don't yeah. know. You know, with smallpox. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it gets really rough on this planet. It does get really weird. <laughs> it's kind of hard to imagine, like, the 30s, 40s L.A., people being into the occult. This but, is even before Chinatown, if you think about when that movie yeah. is set. But yeah. really what people don't know is L.A. and this whole area was, at that time, it was the birth of that movement. There was so ide- spiritualism. Oh, yeah, yeah. All that. So this is what I love. This is one of the things I love about L.A. I mean, there's there's I always look at L.A. as there's kind of two L.A.s. There's, you know, the city of angels and the city city of demons, as it were. There's like the horrible L.A. where it's smog and traffic and people being, you know, stepping over each other and, you know, all the shallowness and all that. But there's also this incredible spiritual side to L.A. And you have to realize that L.A. was, you know, the people who came here came because they wanted to build something out of their imagination. You know, they wanted to create movies. They wanted to create almost a totally new society where, you know, the whole idea of Hollywood that, that we could show life as as it should be, not how it is, you know, a better version of reality. And, of course, there's no surprise that, you know, especially during that time, everyone was interested in, 
Yogananda or Manly Hall or New Thought or the idea that, you know, like the secret, like that if you think about something, you can make it true. Yeah. The city was created by people who were immersed in occult ideas. And it truly is. I think that L.A. is the most truly occult city in, in a way because of that. Um, as, as crazy as L.A. is, it is a place where if you work hard and you catch the right breaks, you can change your life. I mean, Tiffany Haddish, uh, one of my very good friends, has you know, where she came from, where she is now, that couldn't happen anywhere else. Only in L.A., man. You know, and I'm sure, yeah. And you just, you know, when you look at through the history of rock and all that stuff, it's like how there is that occult stuff that almost everything. Yeah, always. I think, that, I think I, honestly, I think that uh, uh, I actually, <laughs> I was having this really paranoid moment once at Hollywood and Highland where I was like looking around and I had this, I had the strangest idea. It was just an idea that came to me. I thought that, you know, you know, the whole thing about Robert Johnson selling his soul yes. at the crossroads. I was like, what if, what if everyone who's famous in LA has sold their soul? Mm. <laughs> what if you have to do that just to get in the door? Uh, I've no people that, that, uh, would say that's true. I'm wearing a shirt right now. It says John Meadows. He's an amazing, uh, uh musician. He's been around forever. Uh, and he's told me some crazy stories about people in the, the up in the Hills parties he's been to that like. I've heard it, stories it, that too. he's like that shocked him forever. Just like Roman like, Polanski type uh, craziness. Yeah. I mean, he's an amazing dude. He sounds like Elton John, Guns N' Roses, and like Pink Floyd, like just like had a baby. Uh, and I was, he's the most honest dude I know. And the look in his eyes when he said the things I saw in the in the eighties and nineties towards it haunts me for the rest. I'm of sure, dude. There's a game that gets played. You see a lot of these. Like a lot of these musicians were famous a long time ago. You know, we did a whole episode on the occult in hip hop and in rock. We've done it and all that crazy stuff. And it's like 100%, dude. So I had the only time in my life I think I might have messed with the darkness is uh, it was after I uh, got it through this hardcore breakup, love of my life. I stopped drinking. I can't stop staring at that. Yeah, I know. This is designed purposely. So, like, <laughs> I was in this place where I'd never experienced insomnia before. And I got, before I used to people think, like, yeah, just go to sleep. And I was, like, insomniac for a good going on too long. And uh, I was just laying there, and I just said, anyone, anyone, anyone listening to me, would you just just help me? I'll give you whatever you want. I just oh, want, I just want on, sleep. Dude. Just I just want sleep, and I felt like I fell through the floor. Wow! And I like slept solid for. Was like just six, get out sixteen hours, dude, and like shit Sink you not. Into the floor. I woke up feeling like hungover from that sleep, and I have that thought like, oh no. So, but you said anything they wanted. It was just like anyone, just anything? just give me rest. Wow! Like give what, me. What rest. did you What did you gamble away there? Yeah, what, what, what did you, what you bargain away for that one night's sleep? What did you give one away? Night's sleep. I'm not too sure, but I started dreaming <laughs> after that. Like I don't know if it goes coincides when you stop like drinking and doing drugs. Like you get your emotions and right. your dreams back. Right. But right, I started dreaming after that. So well, yeah. it makes me think. Does of, it uh, work like that? Yeah, you can it, just be sure. like, "Hey, man, um, sell my soul," and you could be like, bah, 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 like an auction to get all the different. I don't know because I'm the only person in LA that hasn't sold my soul, so um, yeah, maybe maybe you guys, have you tried? I, I noticed yeah. that I, it was funny seeing uh, a sorcerer laugh. I don't know if you're technically a sorcerer, but I looked over <laughs> at you at the comedy chaos. I'm just, I'm just sitting here. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> literally, most, I'm just a guy who played a lot of D and D, and somehow I ended up in this situation. You're the most <laughs> calm dude I've ever met. Come on, me and I'm Duncan just... Trussell want to believe that you go home and just like open up a portal. And well, step maybe, maybe, but See, no, I'm I'm li li I'm like living testament to the idea that uh, heavy metal comic books and and uh, 
role, uh, role-playing games lead to the occult and why you should not let your kids have those things because they could turn into me. You know? I think all children's entertainment lead it. Like, do you watch kids' cartoons? No, it scares the shit out of me. It's I can't like, take dude, that they're stuff just anymore. acid trips. Yeah. SpongeBob SquarePants? <laughs> that is just a dude on shrooms right there. Right? I, I, was, I do a joke about how, like, uh, uh, I went to a Christmas parade. It's like you go there, it's like, Christmas braids are just baby's first burning man, dude. It's like everybody's oh on fuck. It's just shit face, dancing the bad music. You know, it's the same thing. We just introduce our kids to the shady shit. We'll check this out. This is kind of shady. It's uh, called the Gnostic Mass, and this oh, is yes. what got uh, Parsons into it. It's a different take on the Catholic Mass. On a black and white stage stood an altar embossed with hieroglyphic patterns, a host of candles, and an upright coffin covered with a gauze curtain of which the group's caped leader would appear. Can we bring capes back? Sam, you didn't wear a cape at your oh, special. Dude, I love capes. Right. It's a good time for it. You know, I, I really feel that with Trump in office, there's you could pretty much do anything and nobody would really bat an eye. People are so distracted and crazy right now. You, you want to bring capes back? I don't think anyone's going to be worrying about it too much. Hey, man, I, I, I respect the trans community. I don't know why they're the only ones dressing how they want to dress. Why can't you dress however you want? Why capes. can't you show up to your job at FedEx in a fucking cape? Why not? <laughs> Let's do it. Take pictures, please, and send it to us. So at these things, uh, poetry was read, swords were drawn, breasts were kissed, lances were stroked, and it was highly charged sexual atmosphere. Wine was drunk, and cakes made of supposedly menstrual blood was consumed. Not supposedly. That's what was actually in them. And yeah. so this is the Gnostic Mass. What's the reason for menstrual blood cake? Well, okay. So, so did they only have these? <laughs> did they only have these parties once a month? Uh, no, well, you can still go to them actually. No, once a week. Um, so, yeah, the Gnostic Mass. Okay, so 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 here, so here we've got Parsons. He's this young, idealistic, maybe a little bit naive, maybe a lot naive young kid. Uh, his father left at a young age. He doesn't have a father. You can imagine he's drifting a little bit, uh, but he's obsessed with rocketry. And he doesn't really have a cynical filter at all because he didn't go to college. And uh, he at this, you know, he's reading all this science fiction. He's hanging out at the L.A. Science Fiction Society, which is, by the way, where Ray Bradbury got his start. And he's like a, a, this mentor to all these young science fiction authors because uh, he, he can get them laid. You know, like he's a he's a good looking dude and they're <laughs> total nerds. And so they love him because he can like bring them to parties. And. But he also gets obsessed with, he starts reading Aleister Crowley's books, and Aleister Crowley at this time was not very well known. He only had, you know, maybe a dozen followers in the UK. Obviously, he was very infamous in the press. He'd been vilified as the wickedest man in the world and all this thing for some of, all these things for a lot of his, his hijinks around the world. And It almost is like Crowley was like, kind of like what you see now in like this whole thing where like, just be this giant like, flat. You know, I'm like, I've, like, I, I pick a side and go hard on that. And the more you yeah. go hard on that, the more followers you can get on that. The crazier yeah. you go, no, the he more really people... pioneered that. He's he's like the first rock star, or one of the first yeah. rock stars in that way. Um, and he he would he would see that as magic, you know. But uh, yeah, so so he got all this publicity, but there weren't very many people seriously doing the rituals that he'd written, and he created this extremely elaborate magical system called Thelema, which was meant to unite aspirants with their true will for being in this life and allow them to use uh, the occult not just for party tricks, but to 
you know, fulfill their great destiny that supposedly, according to him, everyone had. So uh, Parsons became obsessed with this idea. And, you know, he's an idealist. He's a he's a free thinker. Uh, and so he goes to the Gnostic Mass, which at that time was held in Hollywood, actually right around the corner from where the Big Blue Scientology building is now, oh, shit. just in somebody's house. Oh, is that on uh, Sunset, yep. that one? Yep. By the way, can Scientology pick worse buildings to represent their religion? I mean, like, everything <laughs> looks like where some fu- – like, the, the, the one is a giant castle. The Celebrity Center on Fountain? All it's missing that is a nice. werewolf oh, howling in the night to make that thing look like Dracula, right? <laughs> oh, my God. They just need to release bats nightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. It does not look creepy at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, now they have like the Scientology TV like network or something. Yeah. It, it's in Echo Park. It's a, I don't know. You know what? I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't talk about them too much because, you know, we're in L.A. But uh, yeah, they're really into real estate. Let's just put it that oh, way. Oh, they buy for, everything on Hollywood. For, for monetary reasons. They're really, they're they the buy. the second a largest land, a real estate landowner in all of L.A. Yeah. What's the first? I think it's Piken. You know that P-I-K-E-N? I think it's them. Who, what is Piken? Yeah. It's like the real estate company. Oh, it's just, okay. Yeah. Crazy, right? Real estate's a great tax shelter. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. Uh, you know, not saying that has anything to do with Scientology. Do know, as thou wilt, general, Scientologists. You know? Do as thou wilt. So, uh, yeah, so so Parsons gets, uh, and the Gnostic Mass is the ritual that they're celebrating. It's the group of Thelemites, as they're called. Uh, which is similar to the it's similar to the mass as practiced by the Catholic Church, but what that ritual really does is it it puts sex back into it. Where instead of like the whole idea, the whole idea with Thelema, one of the central ideas of Thelema was, you know, one of Crowley's core ideas was that sex is holy and sex is part of should be part of spirituality. It's how we're born. It's basically how we live our lives. It's totally central to how we express ourselves as human beings. And that he felt that because um, Christianity and, 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 and lots of other religions had purposefully severed sexuality from religion, that that was not only a mistake, but was actually, you know, a control structure that yeah, people 100%. were controlled by that. But telling them sex is sinful. And we see this, you know, now, I mean, look, and obviously we see it with the Catholic Church, how that ends up, you know, like the, the sexual repression. If you repress something, it comes back in totally monstrous uh, forms. And obviously it's the, more complicated than that. The Pope but. said uh, a couple of days ago that... Oh, dude. He just got rid of hell. He's like, nah, hell doesn't exist. It's <laughs> we got to talk about this. We got rid of that. Bye-bye. You heard of, You heard this? No, it's called L.A. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I've been to hell. No, no, no. He literally said there's no... He's like, nope. Which is interesting because I, had a, I have a friend of mine who's really Christian, but he says it's the original version, like that, that how Jesus basically followed it. And basically he said, there's no hell. It's just when the rapture happens and the big JC comes back, the people who follow him wake up and follow him. That you don't, well, you the, don't go to hell, and that hell is control thing. Wasn't hell like adopted from the Greeks and Romans idea? Yeah, of it's it, it's it, well, yeah, it's it gets really complicated, and mm-hmm. and and it's yeah, it, hell is an older idea, but it was not. It's actually a place in Scandinavia, right, like, right, right, right. Hell, yeah. and and hell was usually when you look at in the pagan religions, hell was usually elective. It was a place that just people went to because they kind of liked going to like, you know, get their S and M rocks off or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was not as much like you have to be there forever. It was like you know sometimes people like to do the monster mash. Yeah, and, you know, we have this place for that. But um, so uh, so the Pope uh, came out and here's the thing though the Pope came out and said uh, allegedly in an interview with an Italian newspaper that hell is not real and that when people die, if they're sinners, they just uh, stop existing. 
and that if they are believers, then they get to meditate on the presence of God forever. Now, personally, that sounds that not existing sounds like a pretty good deal to me. It's 100%. like, wait, you get to you get to do whatever you want in this life, and then you just don't exist. I mean, look, I mean, Buddhists try to meditate for millions of lifetimes to try and not exist. You know, that's kind of like a good goal. Like that Dude, sounds like a good deal to me. If heaven is full of these righteous religious people, send me to hell. <laughs> Send me to hell. Let me hang out with all the strippers, the adult film stars, rock stars. They're all going down there. Because if it's going to be like, who just passed? Who's the guy? Jim Graham or whatever is that? Come on, dude. Billy Graham. Billy Graham. All those dudes. Come on, man. I just follow Tupac. Heaven ain't hard to find. Yeah. You guys look up that song. It's a good one. So, but so, here's the thing. So, the, the, they, the Pope did not actually say that. Or at least the Vatican is on the counterattack right now, and they said that the journalist made it up and misquoted him. So. That guy's probably uh, he's going not sleeping lightly. He's going straight to hell. Yeah. He's like, oh, fuck, they're coming through. <laughs> I mean, if you're 24 years old, because that's when he uh, first started getting really deep into Crowley's belief system, right? And he tells you sex is going to get you to some magical place. Dude, I'm busting <laughs> it's a good nuts sales. until it's a I good get to Shambhala. Pitch. Are you kidding me, dude? Like, um, you just think about this, man. Like, how much of being a cult leader is just trying to get laid? 100%. Like, uh, it's like... 100%. Uh, how much I mean, stuff is just... A cult just, leader? A human? Are you kidding me? But, like, dude, every... Like, this this cult in uh, New York just, just got busted. Oh, my God. That's that's some sordid... That 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 shocked me, actually. Uh, and I, I don't I don't shock easily. What well, was, like, this hedge fund manager or something? It was, like, this rich dude... Yeah. ...who I, they had all these, like, girls, but he, he, he was, like, branding them or some sick, like, twisted <sighs> thing. Guys want all the toys. They just want all the toys. The guy looks like Mr. Rogers. It's, like... Jeez. It was weird. Yeah. It was weird. I believe in... in, in, in in each one of us, there is a, a third world dictator. <laughs> oh, I know there's a third world dictator in myself. That's why I'm keep very aware of him and don't let him out. But everything, look at the, the, uh, that show on the Wild Wild West. Is that what's called the Wild Wild Land? Wild Wild Country, wild, wild country on Netflix. That's all about that, that guy. All those guys getting laid. What was this? It's it, all about the Hare Krishna movement. Oh, was this this the Osho thing that just came out? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. my god, that's that's a next level insanity. It's like it's dude, it's 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 a great study in the human condition. But going back, like everybody who starts a cult is just trying to get laid, trying to pull. To, hey, I know what's going on. Trust me, humans well, have been around for thousands of years. I've been here for thirty five, but I've figured it out. <laughs> It's that Patrice O'Neill uh, joke. Uh, I, like, if I don't leave the house before I bust a nut, I'm like likely to kill someone. It's, yeah. It's like, totally true. Like, these cult leaders have just been backed up. I always wanted to know how many schools have school shootings where the two teachers bone the students. I bet you none. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I bet you none. I mean, all these cults are just about getting laid and controlling chicks. That's all it's about, man. I don't know if that's all it's I think that there are... Okay, I think that if you look at any religion, there are definitely problems. There were, I mean, Crowley, you know, was a mess. You know, Crowley was not a nice dude. He was, uh, you know, manipulative, controlling, abusive, sexually abusive, physically, you know, just horrible. Uh, in, when he when he became a cult leader, but I think that a lot of people kind of start out sincere, but then they get a taste of, I guess, whatever it goes to their head. And, oh, that's LA, you know, man. That's well, a big part of LA. Particularly How, if you add drugs. You know, so, so many betas move out here. These guys <laughs> who are like, you know, they're fucking like theater dorks in high school. Can't get laid. Move out here. 
get, get get the keys to the kingdom, and then they get all the women. They can't. They don't know how to deal with these women because they've been watching like Japanese anime porn for their whole fucking life, <laughs> and that's how they think women want. And it's like, does no. that mean LA is where where you can make anime real? Yeah, wow. that's basically what it is, man. It's like these guys just have these warped sort of. I feel so boring. You know. <laughs> no, yeah, well, dude. Well, unless you're Harvey Weinstein, you're doing pretty good. Dude. No, I just sit in front of a computer all day. But it sounds like that's what Alistair Crowley was like to, to this weird, like a very had like a certain kind of really good vision, but also had a very dark passenger with him. Well, I mean, shit started getting yeah. real after Crowley. Uh, the Suicide Squad colleagues saw Parsons' uh, occultism as kooky, but at least it wasn't communism because you know at that time in the 30s that was the real scare. Uh, it did not prevent them from recognizing his genius at manufacturing rocket fuels. At the group's testing ground, Parsons could be heard chanting Crowley's pagan hymn to Pan prior to igniting his rockets. Oh, yeah. So, so this is so legend. This is where it gets really legendary. So Parsons gets a mansion. He starts to get money. And, mm-hmm. of course, when young men get money, they, oh. they start to do all kinds of great stuff with it. Yeah, yeah he, bought a par- he bought a mansion in Pasadena, and they nicknamed it <coughs> the Parsonage. Right. And, uh, <laughs> we call that Armo Rich because that's what our meetings <laughs> like to do. Name your house? We like to buy like the useless stuff and then sleep on beanbags. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh that sounds like a really good lifestyle. Actually. Yeah, I was yeah, thinking about yeah. that right now. <laughs> it's not that bad, dude. Nice. Yeah, he made his money in 1941. Parsons and the Suicide Squad founded Aerojet Engineering Corporation to sell their rockets to the military. Uh, in 1943, with the need for advanced research into rockets growing exponentially, Parsons co-founded JPL, which is Jet Propulsion Laboratory, to continue his study. JPL is where science mingles with the supernatural and intertwines with the occult industrial military complex. Oh man! Yes. So yeah, obviously, here's where this is. This is really one of the most improbable stories of the 20th century. It's just so strange, but it, it, it actually happened. So yeah, he gets this mansion called the Parsonage, and he is during the day he's working with this group that eventually turns into JPL, uh, and they start to get military contracts because up to this point, they had been considered kind of just random crazies. But as the war effort it started to move into the war effort, people started realizing this rocketry thing might be kind of important. Yeah. Um, so they, they start to get military contracts, and there's, uh, companies are founded and then sold. Uh, so it's kind of like in a weird way, like I guess you, you might imagine like, you know, startup culture now like young guys who get a lot of money in silicon valley and then they're like riding around their offices on a tricycle and you know shooting each other with nerf guns i always think about that there is something right now that is about to be invented that is going to be worth billions and who's going to come up with the idea a lot of people i think things are going to happen so fast right now because of technology but i mean you look at these guys now with you know making tons of money from cryptocurrency when they're 22 and you know buying things and anyways so he but he's working here during the day and then at night he fills this house with you know he puts out an ad asking for anarchists and free thinkers and (laughs) anyone bohemians anybody and it's kind of like you know pre-beatnik era right Uh, and pre-craigslist pre-craigslist so it's a lot harder to find freaks (laughs) back then but they show up yeah and uh so he's there so so during the day he's working uh, at uh, in rocketry and they're setting off rockets while he's doing the Crowley's hymn to Pan, the hymn to you know uh, the 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 horn god and all these all these things, and then it and then at night he's coming back and they're just partying and doing tons of coke and having orgies and doing occult rituals and you know this he, is probably before coke was illegal, right? Was because co- coke know. was legal would, at one point. I call that the golden days. <laughs> okay, let's find out. 
there was a time when it was legal and people like they would they doctors be like, listen, dude, you're you have a headache. You need to right. do an eight ball. Well, that's how and Crowley. That's how Crowley yourself. became an addict. He had asthma from his mountain climbing days, and they prescribed him coke and heroin as the only things that could cure asthma attacks. And then he just became a junkie for the his, the rest of his life. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Now, real quick before we go, but look, they do it now with Adderall and all these other things yeah, they yeah. prescribe people. Yeah, I mean, like dude, that's my whole problem. It's like people are like, oh, you don't believe in science? I totally believe in science. I just find scientists. You gotta, yeah. You just question everything. That's all I'm saying. How did they meet? Did they ever meet? Crowley and Parsons. Yeah, not in person. They only communicated because Crowley was at this point fairly destitute. You know, he was uh, going through at this point the Blitz, the air raids in World War II, and and uh, he was communicating with Parsons by email because at this point the group in L.A. Uh, which became the first o- OTO, Ordo Templi Orientis Lodge in L.A., which is Crowley's magical group. It was really the first um, experiment. It was the first group to do this in the U.S. Uh, and Crowley was, you know, very frustrated by them because you can imagine this guy with a classical education, you know, knows Greek and Latin, and mm-hmm. it's so erudite and comes from this kind of, upper, you know, uh, you know, at least upper middle class uh, English background uh, and has gone to Cambridge and been all over the world. You know, his his philosophy gets to California and it turns into like a new age frat house. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> he was a little frustrated with them and just oh. constantly pulling, well, I would say pulling his hair out, but he didn't have any. So. I always say, don't be the trailblazer. Be like the, the two guys back from the trailblazer. Yeah. <laughs> trailblazer always dies broke. It's like, oh, this is awful. The guy after him. Like, let's look at it. You had Friendster, right? What followed Friendster? Right, right. MySpace. Who made the big bucks? Facebook. Right. Yeah, Parsons, uh, he was balling like a wizard. He was accused <laughs> of seducing Aerojet secretaries by inviting them back to his mansion where debauchery, drugs, and fire dancing ruled. He met visiting scientists at his front door with a snake curled around his shoulders. He's just getting he's weird. Yeah, he's, yeah, dude. He's doing it. Look, smart people get weird sometimes. What can I, particularly when they get a lot of money and they start doing drugs. It's just, yeah, we know this to be true. He starts having parties and sci-fi authors like Jack Williamson, Ray Bradbury, like you said, and uh, Sprague de Camp, who author of over Sprague, a, that's L, a great Sprague name. De Camp, yeah, yeah, of uh, over a hundred fantasy and sci-fi books. He declared him an authentic mad genius. If I ever met one, but it doesn't end there. Right. The oh FBI, no! The Wait, F- there's more. <laughs> the FBI began investigating him as a possible security risk because they knew what he was up to. Well, here's the thing. So you had mentioned communism before. Uh, in his student days, as many young students do, com- uh, uh, Parsons had been kind of invited along to a meeting of the American Communist Party, and he was too naive to know what he was getting into. And just because he he went to a couple meetings, I think two or three meetings, and then and then of course, as sometimes happens in these meetings, somebody said like, "Hey, hey, like, uh, why don't we take this a little further? Why don't we, uh, you know, why are we just talking? Why don't we uh, take some action?" And and at that point, Parsons was like, "No, this isn't for me. Hmm. I'm out of." here but he you know it was on his file that the fbi was aware that he had attended communist meetings so at that point it wasn't the occult stuff and it wasn't the parties they were just like oh you went to a communist thing eh, we can't have that so um obviously they thought he was an eccentric weirdo and the fbi and the lapd investigated him but they just decided that he was a freak and not you know dangerous in any way i i read that they thought he was bisexual he probably was. Yeah. That, the OTO, the people in the OTO thought that. Come like, on, Sam, weird. we're elevated, dude. Yeah, we, hey, yeah, I'm not judging. We're like a year away from being full-blown. Just We're hanging out in here in cloaks. You don't want to talk candles. about being gay and full-blown <laughs> at the same time. 
Listen, I teach it all, man. Songs to adults. I don't care. Oh, I was just saying that. Yeah, that's that was that was harsh. That was a harsh one. <laughs> Come on. All right, I won't do that again. <laughs> um, I uh, yeah. I mean, like, dude. Usually, when you're eccentric, usually a, a lot of times when people have very active minds, they do drugs because mm. they want they want to turn. I mean, like we've oh, yeah. we're in recovery. We've seen this. Yeah, we're like people just can't turn their brains off. Yeah. So they want to do well, drugs and get weird. I think that also when you're really intelligent, your own brain is one of the most is the most interesting thing to you. So you you want to alter it. Uh, but people love drugs. Everyone loves drugs. You know, it's part of the human experience. Yeah, we are drugs. We're just a bag of chemicals just interacting with itself. You know, right. What did like a crazy time? You got to think about when they're doing all this. Like this seems like. We've heard this story a thousand times, but this is almost like the beginning of it. To be into like black magic mm. in the 30s or 40s yep. <laughs> is just like an insane time. Yeah, that's the thing with Parsons. He kind of makes sense now, but at the time it's like, what the fuck is this? Like you have to imagine with Parsons, it's like if you imagine Elon Musk, you know, Aleister Crowley, Abby Hoffman, and, and I don't know, uh, you know, Stephen Hawking all in one person. You know, that's kind of like the deal with Parsons because he's, you know, he's he's this brilliant scientist, but he's a huge hit with the ladies and he's living this kind of rock star existence. And but he, he's approaching the occult in a very disciplined and scientific manner because he he does have a you know serious, he, you know, he hasn't been to school, but he has a very serious scientific training where he's working as a as a chemist all day long. And he's worked as a chemist. And, and so he applies this to the occult. And but. But this is where, you know, it really starts to go off the rails for a couple reasons. One is he's doing way too many drugs, too much coke. He's probably he, – he may be making speed at this point. So, you know, as <laughs> And that's how the do. bathtub, dude, that's the old crank. Right, right. That's the, you know, that's the crazy crank. And then a certain somebody oh, who yeah. shows up. Maybe LHR. LHR. His fortunes were not helped by the arrival at his house of a hugely charismatic young science fiction writer by the name of L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. They've, That's uh, like... Ronnie boy. Everything has its own subreddit. That's why I learned <laughs> about life. And there's just a small group of just people who write sci-fi. And just think about the sci-fi this time. This is before like, like Star Wars... All that shit that kind of de defines that genre. Totally. Like, what would they were way ahead of that, man. Yeah, and there was a whole group of that. They instantly became close friends. I mean, like, straight up stepbrothers moment. Like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> they were fencing together. They discussed magic together. Totally. And they even performed magic rituals. Uh, Hubbard, Hubbard moved into Parsons' mansion and taking to the air of free love like a fish to water, worked his way through everyone's girlfriends, wooing them and wooing them. I mean, have you seen L. Ron Hubbard? I'm a redhead. Redheads, yeah. we're hit or miss. We're ugly as shit or we're kind of good looking. This guy was not kind of good looking. How did <laughs> LHR... He looks like the Gerber baby. Yeah, uh, Mr. Steal... He's not... How is he Mr. Steal Your Girlfriend? That's what I want to know. Some women are attracted to... I mean, like, dude... Stephen Hawkins like cheated on his wife with another chick. Do you know how hard that is? When he, you did you see that picture? Apparently, uh, there was this is kind of horrible. Well, maybe we shouldn't go this dark, but there was okay. A, All right. Okay, it. let's just go there. There was a after Stephen Hawking died. There was a photo that uh, of that showed up of him hanging out at Jeffrey Epstein's island. And I don't know if you know Je Jeffrey Epstein. Oh yes, yeah. we've talked okay. about him on All the right. show. So there was like just this picture of him like partying with Jeffrey Epstein. It's like what? The, what is this? What? The, what? What? Oh no! This is dark. 
It was dark. Yeah. yeah. Future episode, Stephen Hawking, kid fucker. Uh, Anyways, allegedly. Uh, yeah, uh, allegedly. Yeah. This is one of the things you learn as a journalist. Just say allegedly. Like yeah, and everything's good. Hey, he said allegedly. Ah, allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, so. That's almost like pinky swear before. Exactly. As soon as yeah. uh, uh, Hubbard moved on and stole Parsons' girlfriend, but Parsons was like a ride or die homie. He was kind of cool with it because uh, he helped him do a little comedy. Thing. You saw that in the uh, 80s. There's a very famous uh, case of that. Sam Kennison and um, what's the uh, Carla Bo? Carla Bo. Carla Bo's kid looks mm. exactly like Sam Kennison and we eventually also have, came uh, out. Uh, George Harrison and Eric Clapton oh, sharing a wife. Nice. Best friends. Why my guitar gently weeps, dude. But uh, Hubbard made up for it by helping Parsons on the grandest magical working he had yet attempted. This was known as Babylon working, an attempt by Parsons to incarnate an actual goddess on Earth. For weeks, the two of them engaged in ritual chanting, drawing occult symbols, much like Bowie, in the air with swords, dripping animal blood on runes, and masturbating in order to impregnate magical tablets. Do you think the coke dealer was like, dude, just, I can't keep coming back here every day. <laughs> Buy in bulk, dude. He I walks mean, in and just him circle jerking with yeah. LRH. <laughs> Put it over there. Put it over there. Come on. Right by the pig's <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, but um, when news got to Crowley in England, he was appalled. On May 22nd, 1946, he wrote a telegram to one of the OT's other members. Suspect Ron, who L- I mean, <laughs> imagine knowing Hubbard enough to call him uh, old Ron. Yeah. You know? what, what was that old cop show? Uh, that was uh, the Suspect Ron. Suspect Ron playing confidence trick. Jack Parsons, weak fool, obvious victim of prowling swindlers. End of telegram. It's like you're a dummy. Crowley was right though. Um, it takes one scoundrel to recognize another. You know, game recognizes game. So he saw Ron as a shape-shifting little fucker from far distance. Parsons believed the magical working had been a success, declaring it the greatest achievement of his life. Could you explain what Babylon working So is? Babylon is actually um, uh, a goddess that has been around for probably since the beginning of humankind, human history. It goes back to uh, Sumeria and, you know, uh, uh, you know, the Fertile Crescent and we talk about Inanna and Ishtar and you go back to uh, you go back, 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 way back when the role of the temple prostitute was venerated as like a goddess figure where like in these cultures there was the temple prostitute or the, or the scarlet woman. And, and they, she'd hook up with everybody. Well, you'd go and you'd pay and you'd basically wait in line. Yeah. And that was... We call them chuckle fuckers <laughs> and they make everybody happy. And like I hate when people would be disrespectful to them at the comedy store because I'm like they have a service that they do and they encourage you to keep going right and and in in certainly in the ancient world before people got this whole kind of like guilt complex it was seen as a priestess role as a sacred role and that role had been you know the gnostics talk about it there's a book called the thunder perfect mind which shows up in the nag hammadi nag hammadi codices which talks about this but that role was denigrated by uh, certainly Christianity and is is shown as the whore of Babylon in, yeah. in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. But this figure comes back actually. That's in, so interesting, dude. Because yeah, they're so anti-sex, right? So they're like, oh, well, this is the demon, right? This is demonic. So the, uh, but the, yeah. So Babylon uh, shows up in John D. and Edward Kelly's spirit diaries, actually, in the John D. sessions. And so uh, we talked about on the la- la- last podcast the occult rituals done by D. and Kelly. 
the very last thing that happened in those sessions after seven years of them talking to angels is this figure shows up who identifies herself as the daughter of fortitude and says, I am the whore and the holy one. And kind of uh, uh, reveals herself as as this goddess Babylon. And uh, actually, this was right after the angels had commanded Dee and Kelly to swap wives. So they also got into the swinger thing, right? This seems to happen with magic. And there was I don't know. much cocaine. <laughs> there was, you know, I don't know, like weird, Eliz- you know, moldy Elizabethan beer or something. I don't know what they were doing. But, um, but so they had been commanded by the angels to swap wives as a method of sexual deconditioning to get them to loosen up a little bit, right? I wonder if they both heard it or did one guy go... Dude, the gods just hit me well, up, yeah. and he said that there was a little should, of that. It's not me; it's that guy up there. They want it's, me to motorboat Betsy, dude. Yeah. Right, 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 right. There was a yeah. That, so this has been debated by scholars, as you might imagine. But they both saw this figure Babylon show up and basically tell them, uh, give uh, pronounce that she was is this goddess, the Scarlet Woman goddess, and it terrified them. It was the end of the sessions because it was too much for them to handle. Crowley later picked up on this and made this figure Babylon the center of his entire uh, religion. And so really Babylon is the inversion of the Virgin Mary, where the the Virgin Mary is considered holy because she is a virgin and pure and is you know untainted by the world. But Crowley reverses this and says that actually this is unholy. You know, this is obviously very blasphemous and controversial, but I'm just saying what Crowley said. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying one thing or another. But he basically says that actually that this is hiding from life, that to be virginal and pure is unholy because you're not, embra- you're not engaging with the world. You're not embracing existence. So Babylon is the opposite of the Virgin Mary because she embraces everything, you know, the, the entire world. She's right. yes. All, all human. She's, yeah, you know, sex we, positive. <laughs> we have talked about this on the show before when we did the episode on the Black Sun, the, the demonization of... Uh, the feminine divine. The feminine divine. And the feminine demonic, you know, which still terrifies men. We see it now with, with Me Too. We see it with um, feminism now. We see it with the March on Washington. Uh, women's sexuality and the idea that men cannot control women's sexuality has always terrified men and it still terrifies men and we see it in the news every day now you know like this is Babylon this is the scarlet woman or the woman girt with the sword as as Parsons said um, and, and uh, you know Kali in the Hindu tradition you yes. know beheading Shiva and holding up the heads of all the men that she's she's beheaded you know like a, a garland of severed male heads just like you know what you know just try it right exactly this is Babylon or, or you know similar as a similar cultural representation she's the original pussy riot right well well the funny thing about Kali is she's only looks that way when you're afraid of her but when you love her, she shows her a true appearance. She might behead you anyways. Exactly. You know, you got to watch out. Into Everyone's the mouth of <laughs> Everyone's got a thing. Yeah. It is interesting that the, uh, the demonization of uh, the divine feminine, the, divine, the demonic feminine. And uh, I, see, it's so weird because women, I always end up engaging into these arguments because I hate the generalization on all white guys. We have a bunch of white guys in here. Nobody hates anybody. We all, we all love but right now we're we're taking a beating because the action's at the top, and you know, uh, and I, I defend that. And then you hear women always say, "Men are afraid of a strong woman." Like my girlfriend is like a world beater, you know, mm-hmm. like she's a dominator. I've always dated women like that, so I've never been like that, you know. I don't understand that, but I guess that is like something that's out there that weak men want weak women. Not me, man. Every woman I've ever really been in love with has been like super masculine. I even like turned to lesbian one time. 
I, I have very that. feminine qualities, but I guess that's just growing up with that women. hair? Not being, like, afraid of the feminine side. I think that's what we're seeing in this whole... Men being afraid of women, that's you just being afraid of yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you have a shadow inside of you that's feminine. You yeah. better embrace that shit. Well, I think that feminists also would say that uh, feminism is... You know, one of the feminist arguments is that men also have a feminine side that they also oppress within themselves and that that's part of the oppression of, you know, that side of humanity. And that uh, uh, I think that's probably something Parsons would have agreed with. He had a very uh, radical, uh, he was very almost libertarian, but he had a, a, just a radical and, uh, and an- anarchistic view of uh, what life could be. He wanted, you know, pure women's liberation. He wanted everyone to have access to space travel. He wanted everyone to have access to consciousness alteration and drugs. He wanted to break, uh, uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, he predicted the 60s. He said that when he did this ritual, the Babylon working, one of the things that Babylon told him was that there will be a coming generation that will reject all this prosaic 50s bullshit and will p- reject uh, conscription like the draft and will want sexual freedom and sexual liberation and will want godlike powers. And all of that has happened. I mean, you know, if you think of, of you know, I think of technology as magic, you know, the ability that we can with this, this phone do things that the ancients would consider magic. You can t- tap something on this and summon whatever you want from Amazon will show up tomorrow. Yeah. You know, boom. There. You can talk to, you can have telepathy. You can read the thoughts and send thoughts to anyone in the world immediately. Yeah. You know, like you can record, you can make video, you can. So, um, uh, you know, when we talk about magic, you know, we have to kind of take a broad Catholic in the true sense uh, view of that word. And it's just kind of the things that the powers that humanity has and the powers that humanity have now are absolutely Promethean. And so Parsons saw the radical. It, I wouldn't call it women's liberation. I would say exalting the most the the, the most uh, uh, intense parts of everything. Not not just women, but everything that had been oppressed. He was a pure uh, idealistic anarchist. He wanted everything out in the open and and total liberation for humanity. And, and I think it happened. But he uh, he didn't live much longer after that, unfortunately. And if he did, he probably would have had a very guiding role. Uh, in the 60s. But th- this was the message that came, you know, they summoned this goddess Babylon who gave them, you know, P- Hubbard was, you know, allegedly, act, again, acting as a psychic and was kind of receiving messages in the same way that Kelly had. And of course, Hubbard's like, yeah, the goddess Babylon is talking to me and, <laughs> you know, tells me to give you, you should give me all your money and all this. But the <laughs> the work that it, that emerges from, they actually exhibited the book of Babylon that he, he transcribed at, um, at uh, the MoCA uh, in in uh, West Hollywood, I think three or four years ago. Can you buy a copy of this? It's online. It's only seventy seven lines, so it's it's a very short. It's less than a thousand words. So they um, just chanted it over and over. Take me a couple months. Well, it was it was a received. It was like the Book of the Law. It was like a received. Um, it was a received book, but they were doing Enochian magic, which comes from Dean Kelly, in order to in order to open this up. And they got the result, and then Babylon, according to Parsons, manifested as this woman, Marjorie Cameron, who was uh, showed up at the house. Like you know, they they went into the desert in the Mojave, and they did this ritual for eleven days, where they were doing Enochian magic, and they were adding sex magic to it, and all this stuff. And then at the end of the eleven days, they came back to the house, and this woman, Marjorie Cameron, was sitting there, who just moved in, and she was this you know 
uh, had flaming red hair. You know, that was the, the spitting image of the Scarlet Woman is Babylon. Uh, is called and you know immediately uh, they began, the Parsons and, and her immediately began doing sex magic together and she just kind of was the avatar of Babylon or at least walked into Parsons projecting that onto her you know if you want to be a bit more cynical about it which I think is fair yeah. but um, so interesting dude yeah but and it got crazier from there and they were doing you know they spent the next couple of years trying to manifest this force of Babylon which is you know, Crowley was very into this idea of Horus, which was kind of the Antichrist and the idea of all of the old religious structures being destroyed. And Parsons really clued in to the fact that it was a little bit too macho and it had to be balanced out by a feminine counterpart, which was Babylon. And and we see Babylon not just in the 60s, but in the witchcraft movement, in in the popularity of which which the, the massive popularity right now in the last five years of witchcraft with young women. That's what um, Parsons is talking about in the 50s, talking about that in the 50s, where he writes a manifesto called We Are the Witchcraft, where he talks about the the, the pure witchcraft coming back and women gathering in covens and things like that. And this is before Wicca happens. It's before I any of this, this happens. I love all that, man. I love all yeah. that. Well, you alluded to it. Um, <clears throat> Jack has a sad ending, unfortunately. He managed to obtain some consulting work on rockets. Uh, he was like bought out of Aerojet. Um, and he was also L. Ron Hubbard stole his chick and then ran off with like $20,000 of his money. He got cucked, as they say. <laughs> Back in the day. Uh, he was accused of consor- consorting with communists in the pre-war years and being involved with what the FBI termed a love cult. He was a security clearance stripped from him. He was forced to pump gas, fix cars, and eventually end up using his incredible scientific knowledge to make explosive squibs for Hollywood movies. Those are the little bullets that blow up in front of your chest. But boom, on, July, on June 17th, 1952, a huge explosion ripped through the, his home laboratory. After police found Parsons still alive, although half of his face had been ripped off, exposing the skull beneath. His right arm was missing. Surrounding him was rocketry, papers, and pentagrams, occult drawings, and chemical formula. He died shortly afterwards. He was only 37 years old. Oh my God! Yeah, blew himself up in his garage in Pasadena. Now, there was there a theory that there might have been some sabotage. There was definitely that theory. But so here's the deal: I mean, Parsons lost his security clearance because of his connections with communism, and then all the yeah, he couldn't get a job. He was doing uh, working yeah as a janitor, as a you know, at a gas station, as a dental uh, assistant, or you know the guy in charge of drugs for Dennis, which he's probably getting all kinds of drugs that way. Mm-hmm. And he, at one point, went to work for Howard Hughes. Oh, my God. And then he got an offer to work for the Israeli government doing rocketry, which is right before he died. And he and Cameron were going to move to Mexico to to start working on rockets for the Israelis. And they he was blown up the day before they went. So there, <laughs> it, it's a little logically follows that people might not have wanted a rocket scientist going over to a different country. And I think that also uh, he had also uh, very much angered the LAPD in the 50s because he had been uh, he had testified in an explosive explosives case uh, uh, where an ex LAPD officer uh, had had killed somebody in a car bomb potentially. And he had testified against the LAPD. Oh, my God. So they hated him. And so there's another angle. But I think the real story is, I mean, look, the guy was on a ton of drugs. He. He, he had d- decided he was the Antichrist. He declared himself the Antichrist and that his, his role was to 
destroy Christianity by manifesting Babylon. So he, he was a little out there. He's, he had a little twitch going. You know? Normal people aren't entertaining, dude. Well, you don't you don't become a rock the the world's first rocket scientist or one of the first ones if you're normal. Yeah. So, but he 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 uh, he was rocking it till the wheels were gonna come off. You know, hey. he just was like all the way, and that's hey. kind of why he's so legendary now because you know most people pull themselves back from the brink, but he was just like fuck it. Yeah, I'm the Antichrist all he, the way. Dumb <laughs> on Louise, dog. They're like fuck it, drive off the cliff. Well, I'm, yeah. goes. I'm a little leery to even uh, ask Aaron what he thought, but let's try it out. Don't be an idiot. Hey, hey, Ron. Well, you better be sick, dead, or mute. Hey, hey, Ron. You done messed up, hey, hey, Ron. You filthy animal. Uh, Aaron, I, thoughts? I thought this was fascinating. Um, I knew a little bit about Jack Parsons from uh, our good friends at the Dollop. Uh... And a little bit of, from drunk history as well. So uh, this is all super fascinating and wacky. I love it. I loved it. It <laughs> was a great conversation. Up. It went so fast. I can't believe it's seven. It's crazy. That was excellent. Jason, you're wonderful to have on. I'm sorry for a couple of the jokes uh, went a little too hard in the paint. But <laughs> let's plug that book again because, guys, this is pre-order and it's going to sell out and you're going to wish you had it. It actually is selling out. Yeah. So, okay. So the book is called John D. and the Empire of Angels. And it is, as we said, a massive book. And it starts with the first two-thirds of the book are about Dee and Kelly and the birth of Enochian magic and the system called Enochian that they channeled. And then the, the second or the last third of the book is about Crowley and Parsons and all the stuff that we were just talking about. And Crowley and Parsons were the ones that really took the system and used it and operationalized it and put it into practice, which was, according to the angels, the point was to bring the end of the world about. So, so yeah, so all this stuff is in there, uh, and it, it pieces everything together, and it, and it really is the, the whole story of Western magic, or Enochian magic, from its birth to this time period, and all the way up to the modern era, and all the things that uh, Parsons' work has been responsible for. You can get the book at johnd007.com, or you, if you just search John That's D on Amazon, it's the first thing that pops up. And it actually is. I just heard back from the publisher; they've already gone. They've already gone past their orders for the first print run, yeah. uh, and uh, more have been ordered. And so the first print run is going to sell out immediately after it's after it's up, which is April seventeenth. Uh, I recommend that you pre-order one if you want to get one, because that probably means that the first edition, because it is a hardback occult book, is probably going to go up in value and there actually may be some gaps where you may not be able to get it when they're waiting for the next print run uh, from the publisher back to in into the warehouse at amazon so uh i if you i, I really recommend pre-ordering it so you uh, get one as soon as they're out get it while it's hot man. and where can yeah. they find you on your social media and instagram and all that so if you go to just go to jasonlouv.com and everything is there all my social media and all the other stuff i've done you can see my magic courses you can see uh, all my books, you can see all my blogs and 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 everything that I've got. And of course, if you want the, you know, I have a, the free course on magic. I love uh, it. I read and, everything. Oh, what'd you think? I love it. Yeah. I love all of it. I'm really interested in this stuff. I'm hoping that we can turn Sam more and more goth as the year goes on. <laughs> Do you, you want to be goth in your 40s? Yeah, dude. Come here just like, uh, I wear black on the outside because that's how I feel. We're going to get some black. LA is the polish. place to do that. But yeah, if you want the free magic course, just text the word shaman to the phone number 44222. Boom. Awesome. And Sam, plug anything? Well, guys, again, it's June 1st. Come on, North Cal. Anybody ever want to go to San Francisco, fan of the show, this is the night to do it. Go to the com 
CobbsComedyClub.com. Buy your tickets now. I think we're going to do the uh, podcast with whoever brings the most people. I'm going to confirm with that with Eddie this week, but we're going to do that. We'll sit down, a little podcast. Come on, we'll promote whatever you want to promote, and we'll do it. This was a great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, we're going to do more of these with Jason. So, guys, thanks for uh, tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Great, man. Awesome. It was great.